Okay. And welcome to Lily High on Life. Today's very special guest is Leon Kofmansky, who I've just recently become aware of, and I welcome him to the show. Thank you, Lily. It's great to be on your show. <laughs> Thank you for coming and, and doing this. And the reason I'm so excited about hearing about you and meeting you is that you're actually running for office here in Victoria, and you're not a woke lefty. That's right. Isn't that amazing? You're Jewish and not a lefty. That's right. And I've got a beard and a yarmulke. And a beard and a yarmulke Jew without a lefty. So Chabad affiliations. That's right. I have to ask you, what motivated you to run for politics? I mean, politics is not a a Jewish thing normally in Australia. That's a great, excellent question, Lily. So the last few years... uh, I never wanted to get into politics. Look, if if someone Googles my name, they'll see that in 2018 I campaigned, but that wasn't a real campaign. I was approached by an individual in our community and they asked me to uh, stand in as a lame duck candidate for the Democratic Labor Party and that was to support the Liberal Party. So Katie Allen in the Paran district. And they told me they didn't have to campaign, didn't have to do anything. So I did it as a favor and I wasn't involved in that campaign. You'd see my name appear on the 2018 ballot for the Paran lower house seat. So that wasn't anything serious. So I Today you're fighting fit and really going for it and we need you. But (laughs) back to why on earth were you motivated to do it? Good, excellent question. So the last few years, I've got a Russian background. So I was born in the Soviet Union, came here to Australia at a young age. I heard a lot about the Soviet Union from my parents and I know a lot about my grandparents' experience in the Soviet Union. They were in labor camps. And I'm very determined because I have children, two, two daughters, six and nine, I understand that freedom is something you shouldn't take for granted. And I'm very determined to ensure that my daughters don't have the same type of life that my parents and grandparents had. And the last few years has shown, has taught a lot of of people that Australia is not immune to totalitarianism. I think we all got a bit of a shock in the last few years, a rude awakening. As you know, my background's a little similar to yours. I was also three, four years old when I came out to Australia. And during the lockdowns and the pandemics, my mother couldn't watch the news. Everything she saw reminded her of what was happening back in Russia. Did your parents go through similar Yes, they did. But I've got something to something interesting to add to that. During at the height of the lockdowns, I asked my parents, Are you, does this remind you of the Soviet Union? Is there a comparison? And they, my mother answered in a way there, there, there are some comparisons, but in a way, no, because in the Soviet Union, we never experienced a curfew. In the Soviet Union, no one forced us, coerced us into taking a medical intervention and no one told us that we couldn't travel more than five kilometers so isn't that interesting i mean that's not something i didn't say that my mother someone who lived and experienced so dan andrews was in fact worse than the communist dictatorship exactly uh in 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 some respects yes and look uh if we continue on this uh trajectory uh i don't want to say what will uh what could happen but we have a narrow window of opportunity 
to stop this. And that's why I'm running for the uh, upper house with the United Australia Party. As a micro party, we have a very realistic strategy. We're not focused on the lower house. It's very hard for a micro party to get into the lower house. So our strategy is to get into the upper house. So our system's not perfect. But we do have a system of checks and balances in place. And the upper house is supposed to play an integral role in that system of checks and balances. In the past few years, the ruling Labor Party under Premier Daniel Andrews, was they were able to successfully pass a lot of the legislation and implement their policies because they had three crossbenchers in their pockets. We want to reverse that, we want to change that situation and we want to hold the balance of power. So they're predicting that he might win, who knows. They're also saying that there's 30% of voters who are undecided, so that could affect the election. Maybe Matt Guy will get in, that would be a better outcome, of course. But even if he gets re-elected, God forbid, for another four years, we want to be in a position where we can block all of his legislation, his agenda, and even reverse it. I don't think Matt Guy really listens to the people. I don't think he's going to get in, and um, I, I hope he doesn't. I hope one of these alternative freedom parties gets in, so I'm rooting for you. And saying your name again, Rian <laughs> Leon Kofmansky, because not that many people have heard of you, so right. there's still That's a lot of work to be done in the next three weeks. That's right, so we'll have to get my my name out more. I mean, look, there are a lot of people that have heard of me, but you're right, there, we have to get my name out more in the southern metropolitan region is a very big region. There's 500,000 people that live in the region. Caulfield, the district of Caulfield, there's, so there's 11 districts in total. Caulfield is one of the districts. There's also Malvern, Albert Park, Sandringham, Bentley. So it's been a really huge learning curve for you. Absolutely. You, Your background is actually in financial services. That's right. And you worked for many years as a consultant for different major um Exactly. Financial institutions. So politics is quite the change. That, that's right, exactly. And uh, I've I've seen a lot of what goes on in, in the financial service industry. We've had the Royal Commission where uh, conflicts of interest came up and uh, people that worked in the financial services industry weren't acting in their client's best interest due to various conflicts. And I'm seeing that a lot in, in politics and a lot of reforms were introduced uh, during the Royal Commission to the financial services industry. A lot of those reforms were great. Some of them weren't so great. Look, nothing's perfect. You know, it's a human system. But at the end of the day, what I'd like to see is I want to implement similar reforms across the board, across government, across the medical industry, across education, mm. because all of these conflicts in, exist in all of these other areas. And I'd love to see forensic accounting done on every single politician yes. <laughs> that, wouldn't in that be the government. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Because um, we don't have proof, out. but absolutely, Dan Andrews, I have no doubt, would be an interesting forensic accounting study. Yes, um, yes. So the good thing about Dan Andrews is that it's actually motivated good people to look at joining politics such as yourself. That's right. Because That's... you probably would never have done that under other circumstances. Thank you, Dan. 
Thank you, Dan Andrews. Yes. <laughs> a bit like, you know, Torah Vasimcha. Torah is all about joy, I believe, and Lily High on Life is all about looking for the positive that's in, right. in what we do. So that's a definite exactly. positive. Exactly. So there is a silver lining to having Dan Andrews in power for the last eight years, and hopefully his term's going to be up in the next couple of weeks. So what did the conversation look like that you had with your wife when you told her that you were actually going to think of doing this so she she knew that I was uh, going to put my name forward but she didn't think I would get very far or she didn't suspect that I would and then when I got a phone call from Clive Palmer to congratulate me I told her the first thing she said was I said you know to my wife uh, Clive Palmer called you know I was very excited and her response is who's Clive Palmer <laughs> She doesn't, she doesn't follow the news. And uh, the, then the next thing she says is, I didn't marry a politician, which is fair enough. But uh, she's uh, overall, she's very supportive, but she's also very, she's a big mama bear. She's very protective of our two daughters. So she doesn't want to involve them in the campaign in any way, which is understandable. Why would you? You've got to have a real passion to be in politics, I believe, until you're elected. Once you're elected, you don't have to do any more. That's the way it looks. But (laughs) to actually do this and get there, especially not being a career politician straight out of uni, you've got to have a real passion and a reason for doing it. Exactly. And what was it or what is your passion? Um, I understand the not wanting Australia to be like the Soviet Union and it really looked like right. it was going to be, especially if Dan Andrews can, continues. But now that you're in it, is this something that you can see yourself doing in 10, 20 years' time? No way. So I don't want to be a career politician. I think they should be thrown out of parliament. And we've got a lot of politicians, I don't know if you notice, a lot of them are lawyers by background. So what I would like to see, in theory, our political system, which is based on the Westminster system, is supposed to be for the people. It's for the people to participate in, in the local councils, in the state parliament, in the federal parliament. If you notice, in England, they they have the House of Commons. It's called the House of Commons for a reason, so that regular, everyday people can participate. They also have the House of Lords, which is for the aristocracy, but in Australia, we don't have an aristocracy or an upper class, so everyone can participate in uh, the political process. What I would like to see if we get elected is to have term limits in the parliament, have up to maybe 12 years term limits for uh, your regular politicians, your backbenchers, and then for ministers and premiers in the government, eight years. And just and get out. You've yep. done your job. Get lost. Allow. Give someone else a go. Yep, I would. I would agree with that because a fresh perspective is always good, and keeping it updated. What are some of the other things that you'd like to see changed? Great question. So there's a saying. If you don't take an interest in politics, politics will take an interest in you. It's from a, a state, great statement, statesman in, from ancient Greece. We saw that in the last few years. I do, I'm not anti-government. I'm anti-big government. I want government out of our lives. I want a small government that looks after the basics, our infrastructure, uh, our security, our defence, 
just the basics, the bare bones. I don't want the government involved in our lives, where big government where they can dictate and micromanage every aspect of our lives and tell us what to do, preach to us, lecture to us. Uh, for example, with the education system, as a parent, I don't recall ever signing up to co-parent with a state government. Right now, parents have been stripped of their power, of the, which is sacrosanct, to, to educate their own children and bring them up according to their beliefs. That is, is being taken away and the government is getting involved. There's no parental consent with the schools. They're teaching this woke ideology. I mean, I'm being generous. This, uh, what they're teaching... The history you know, of Australia has been distorted. That's right. In Australian public schools. Exactly. So it's... I'm all for... Uh, in the history of the indigenous people and everything else but australia has done amazing things in the time that it's been set up and those things need to be highlighted as positive not negative exactly i believe that at the moment they have their teaching about the um how awful the white people were to the aborigines and they're teaching that as australian history that's right well, that needs to be changed and positive things about Australia to this very day must be put in. And I remember people were proud to be Australian. That's right. It wasn't that long ago, was it? Yes. And that pride in being Australian no matter where you're from is just so important. Exactly. And the, 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 what they're teaching is just so... It's beyond... Sick. I don't know if you saw that clip with Bernie Finn where he got up in the upper house and he repeated uh, what uh, a mother came of a small girl came to him and complained about what they were teaching in classes. So it was very um, explicit, very obscene content, sexual content, mm. which I'm not going to repeat here, but if people are interested, they can look up Bernie Finn's speech. Yes. And that is just beyond appalling. Outrageous. Imagine Absolutely. if someone in a public park outside of the classroom setting approached a bunch of kids, and I'm not even exaggerating, this is not hyperbole, approached a bunch of kids and repeated what was in the classroom syllabus to them and tried to teach them that content, they would be arrested and thrown in jail. Absolutely. So how is that acceptable, what they're currently teaching in the classroom settings? How is that ex even acceptable in well, the classroom settings? Well, it's crept in because of weak government, because of government that is afraid to question um, what seems to be the push. Do you feel that you have a strong enough personality to actually bring up and insist on what you feel is right? Absolutely. I, I very much do. I've got a bit of a reputation for being a, a big mouth in the community and a lot of people have, not a lot of people, but a few people have actually challenged me and they said, well, why don't you stand for politics over the years? Why don't you actually do something? Why don't you stand? And I couldn't really answer them, but and they're right. I should actually stand up and do something and not be an armchair which Observer. is what you're doing now. Exactly. And you've got to maintain that strength of your beliefs. Now, 
you did something which most people, well, I shouldn't say most people, but some people would find very strange. When you were in your early 20s, you decided to actually become Orthodox. That's right. You were brought up Jewish, but you decide you found, or Chabad found you, or you found Chabad. <laughs> tell me a little bit about that process of decision making. Yes, that's a very interesting uh question that you asked, I've got an interesting answer. A lot of people over the years have asked me, how did you become religious? Which rabbi influenced you? And uh, I didn't really have an answer until and I started to think, the last few years I started to think back because I never really thought about it. What triggered me to become religious? Because I always looked forward. And then I remembered in university, I, I was uh, completely disconnected from Judaism. And I had a, uh, I went out with an Ita a nice Italian Catholic girl, and she would always ask me questions about my religion, and she would challenge me about it, and I didn't know what to answer to her. But I wasn't really concerned. I was interested in partying and other things. That wasn't religion. wasn't front of center in my life. So you weren't going regularly to shul or anything. I like never that. even said. I went to King David. We would maybe a couple, a couple times, once a year, we'd go on Yom Kippur to the Reformed Temple. I remember in 1996, this is when mobile phones were a novelty. We went into uh, the Alma Road uh, Temple Beth Israel, and my memory of that was everyone was on their mobile phone. <laughs> so all the all the adults were on their mobile, and then we uh, went to uh, 12 o'clock in, in midday, we decided to have a break and we went to an all-you-can-eat place, Sizzler, on Yom Kippur, and the place was full of people from Temple Beth. So <laughs> that was an interesting interesting uh, experience. That was the extent of my experience, right. exposure to Yiddish. I mean, I did have That's a bar mitzvah. That's how unorthodox you were. That's right, exactly. Tell me about your bar mitzvah. I had it in the Russian shul. So that was, uh, I had a connection with Rabbi Gorelick, uh, and but it wasn't growing up, as a child it wasn't strong it, it became stronger when I was a young adult uh, so yeah just a very limited experience but so I had back to my uni days I went out with a nice Italian girl she challenged me one day we were in the car and she we passed the cemetery and she asked which cemetery would you want to be buried and I was in my early I was 21 22 why would I think about I don't know, even know what I'm going to do in five hours, I, mean, I was very spontaneous <laughs> and liked to party. And, and why would I plan? That's not it's being buried in a cemetery. Why would I plan something like that? Make funeral arrangements? And I said, I don't, I don't know. And she said, Well, would you be buried in a Catholic cemetery alongside me? And I said, Why would I want to be buried in a Catholic cemetery? Well, why not? Don't you love me? Why on earth a Catholic cemetery? And I'm thinking about the history between the Catholics and the Jews. I mean, even though I was ignorant of Judaism, I learnt history. I knew what the church did to the Jews. I've got nothing against Christians, by the way. I really respect them. But if we look back at the Inquisition and all these other things, why on earth would I want to be buried in a Catholic cemetery? And that caused a lot of tension. That actually uh, prompted me to explore my Judaism. And I became... I studied more and more. It didn't happen overnight. It became very gradual. And eventually I went overseas. I became so interested. I went overseas, studied in Israel for three months, came back to Australia. And then a few years later, I went to New York and studied in New York, in a Yesh Chabad wow. Yeshiva in New York for two years. 
I'm really liking this Italian girl. Right. Funny. Yes. So <laughs> next time someone asks me uh, which rabbi, I'll say it's a uh, rabbi. An Italian uh, shiksa. Exactly. Rabbi Italian shiksa. <laughs> Catholic shiksa. I don't suppose you're in touch with her anymore. No. no. <laughs> We've enough. lost touch. So, so um, those early days, because I believe everything is, is really important everything that happens to you to where you are today no matter what age you are when you were just partying and at uni and all of that was your what were you what were your goals or dreams or did you have any at that time or was it just getting through uni getting through um well that particular i mean we all go through different phases in life that particular phase in life was just partying having this uh happy-go-lucky type lifestyle uh, being spontaneous, not planning anything. I didn't have a structure when I was at university. Just getting through university. I just graduated and uh, that was it. Have, had a, a good time. And uh, yeah, so in that particular point in my life, I didn't have a structure. It was once I became more religious, became interested in religion, that gave me more of a, of a structure. Um, and... So there were no plans to go to Israel or live in Israel or do anything like that before you started getting more interested in your own background? That's right. It was only after I became religious that I thought about living in Israel. But eventually I met a nice uh, Aussie girl in the local area and uh, here we are. The rest is history. And what on earth did your parents say to you when you started looking into your own religion? Well, that's interesting. That's an interesting question. You would be surprised. They they were actually happy when I uh, broke up with the Italian girl. Uh, initially, when we were going out in the early stages, they didn't think it was going to be serious because I had other uh, relationships that weren't serious and they thought, oh, well, this is just another one. And two years in, they're like, they got very, very concerned. They confronted me and I'm like, well, what's what's the issue you never said anything before and they were they were very hurt and uh, after I ended the relationship and started to become more religious they were relieved Fair so, nice you, Jewish parents do you have brothers sisters I've got one children? sister who actually recently made Aliyah to Israel so Baruch Hashem so, so she married a nice Mizrahi boy very nice. So, and your parents have become a little more religious, that's or they right. still yes, go to they, the temple. They they uh, they go to the the local uh, South Caulfield Shul, so that's their local shul. So they're regulars there. So, what kind of discussions have you had with your children since you brought this on? What are they curious about? Because it's a very different world. That's right. So my wife is trying her best to shield them, which I, I guess you could do during a campaign. I'm not in public office. I'm not in the public eye. Yet. If, God willing, I do get in, it will be different. But for now, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But for now, they know, they know that they don't understand what politics is. I mean, they're only six and nine. They have some sort of, I tried to explain it, they have some kind of an understanding. When I was rehearsing my speech for when I was applying for the role, they watched me, I rehearsed it in front of them. But uh, yeah, they have a very limited understanding. They know that something's going okay. on, but they can't quite grasp it. And it's, in su- it's in such an important thing 
for them to understand from your perspective as to why you would do such a thing. I believe it is because it shows that I know a lot of people who are very smart, who would be very, like really brilliant politicians, but would never even consider uh, going, becoming a politician. So I certainly have the greatest respect for what you're doing and, you. and wish you only the very best. Thank you very much. Which is why I'm going to try and put this on for tomorrow's show um, so that people remember your name, Leon Kofmansky. And uh, when you see it on those voting sheets, you've got to vote for Leon Kofmansky, please. That's right. I just want to clarify to your listeners that I'm not running against David Southwick. Our system's very confusing, so I'm not running in the lower house. Uh, and I'm, uh, David Southwick, Nomi Coltman, they're in a different competition. But if I do get elected, I will be representing Co- the Caulfield District in the upper house. And uh, hopefully the objective would be, as Don Chip would say, a, a famous uh, Australian politician, would be to keep the bastards low, uh, honest in the lower house. That would be the objective. Do you actually have um, personal relationships with other people running, like David Southwick, like... No, I, I don't. I've heard of a lot of, about them. I interacted with David a lot via email and via phone calls, mm-hmm. but I don't have a personal relationship. I'm sure David's a nice guy. People in the in the Caulfield district, they can still vote for David Southwick. They can still vote for Nomi Coltman. I'll send you the interview I did with David Southwick. Right. And his wife. I did separate interviews and uh, just really wonderful, wonderful people. But I I can't vote Liberal anymore after right. what the Liberal Party has done. So and you're not sorry, the only David. One. <laughs> you're not the only one who feels that way. But theoretically, if a person still wants to vote Liberal, they can vote Liberal in the lower house and they can vote for me in the upper house. There's no contradiction right. because of the systems of checks and balances. So my, my objective would be to keep David honest in the lower yep. house and to hold him accountable. Leon, what's your relationship like with uh, Clive Palmer? I'm assuming you've met him, spent one-on-one time with him? Very good question. So I've only spoken to him twice. So once when he called, so I did a video uh, when I applied and that went directly to Clive Palmer and Craig Kelly. And uh, I got a call 10, 10 days later. I was told to expect a, a call from a private from a private number, which would be Clive, because I normally don't pick up private numbers. And uh, he, he introduced himself and he said, congratulations, you'll be the lead candidate for the Southern Metropolitan Region. In my speech, I spoke about the plight of the Jewish community during the lockdowns. And I, I think that resonated with him. I think he's a man with a very, Clive Palmer's a man with a very big heart. And I, met, I did meet him in person once. We had a brief conversation. Something that the media doesn't show about him is not only does he have a big heart, but he's also a man of God. So he always mentions God. He's a deeply religious man. And he always says, God willing, uh, God, God, God will bless you. And so he's constantly mentioning God and it just shows that he is a man of faith. Which is so important nowadays because <laughs> I'm not, I'm very Jewish. I'm a huge Zionist. Israel is very important in my life. And I went to Beth Rivka. But having said all of that, I am not um, day-to-day religious. 
I don't keep kosher, I don't keep Shabbat, I don't keep anything like that. But the only thing that has given me any moral clarity and courage when you look at what is happening in the world today, whether it's the Ukraine, whether it's China, whether even with Israel, is faith that that things will work out. Exactly. It's only faith. And, you know, I have many friends also that are um, Christian, Catholic, different, and they say, I feel truly blessed and taken care of. And I've adopted that. I do feel personally very blessed and taken care of in life. And that's a faith of for something much greater. Exactly. Exactly right. Now, I've got to ask you, do you... I know you've just had a couple of conversations and a brief meeting. Do you feel at all intimidated or cowered by Clive? Because um, you are going to have to come up with, um, you're going to have to work with him closely. And would you be, um, would you find yourself intimidated uh, to the point where you may not express your own concerns because of who he is and his and his position. Sure. So my my brief meeting with Clive, I found it to be very very personable when I met him in the city. He came a couple of weeks back when we announced our campaign, and he briefed the the media, hostile media, and he was very personable. He he was very down to earth, very approachable which in is a different uh, image to the one that the media the mainstream media tries to present of him and he allows uh, diversity of thought in the party we have people from different backgrounds different cultural backgrounds the one thing is that binds us together is we're all conser- conservative that's number one we're pro-family pro-life pro-god but we also believe in small government so we want to get the big government out of our lives we don't want the big government to micromanage every aspect of our lives so if something came up where he felt differently to you you would have no problem in um, confronting him or in in arguing your case strongly well i believe in dialogue that's something that clive supports as well so we have dialogue i mean i to be clear i've haven't interacted with clive directly other than having a conversation with him five minutes over the phone and then having a brief conversation with him when he he was visiting Melbourne a few weeks ago but we the party very much encourages dialogue and uh, where people can air their different views and discuss and negotiate and at the end of the day that's what teamwork's all about and I'm very used to that working in a corporate environment working as part of a team having discussions personally I never hold back if I strongly believe in something, I would put it to the table and I'm willing to, to sacrifice my reputation, put my reputation on the line for it if I strongly believe in, in that. Exactly. So have you come across people, now that you're in this broader community race, who have never met a Jew before? As far as you know, has anybody said to you, you are the first Jew I've met or...? Not in this campaign. I'm sure a lot of people that I've interacted with haven't, uh, haven't met Jews personally or they had misconceptions about Jews. 
some probably some supporters, not in the mem- not in directly in the party candidates, but some supporters have this conception that. Jews tend to be very left-wing, so they're very surprised to see a conservative Jew because that's the perception they get on television from American television, for yes. example, where they see someone like Chuck Schumer or another prominent Democrat politician happens to be Jewish. So that's the misconception that they have. But I'll tell you a funny story. I have, outside of the campaign, met people who haven't met Jews, and there was one incident that stands out where a, a woman in the workplace actually thought that I was a Buddhist. <laughs> and you are you differentiate yourself not only in your belief but in your physical appearance because That's you've got right. the beard and you wear the yamulka exactly. on your head and everything else. Um, how do you how do you feel about people who are not people of faith, people who are not uh, Orthodox, whether it be Jewish or Christian, and uh, people that hold different beliefs to yours? Very good question. I like interacting with people from all walks of life. I come from a secular environment. Ironically, you'd probably be surprised by what I'm about to say. In a lot of cases, because because I grew up in a secular environment, in many instances, look, there are exceptions, but in many instances, if I, I can have more of a conversation and find more common ground with a, a, a Jew that's secular or even a non-Jew because of my background, because of the cultural experiences that I had growing up, than someone that was born religious in a very insular environment. I understand so, that. And I, I like, real, very much enjoy interacting with people from different faiths, religions. I still have friends that were um, that I was from my uni days and growing up that are either secular Jews I went to Mount Scopus or they're not even Jewish at all and I still catch up with them and we still interact and we have great relationships that's great um, so I'm assuming you're going to be elected because um, that's just absolutely um, do you see that uh, do you see any uh, frictions or any problems with your being orthodox and Shomer Shabbos stuff and, um, and, and the job you'll have to do once you're elected? Sure. I don't see any frictions or problems. For me, Shabbos is sacred. It's out of the question. I've had, been in many situations where I was asked to work on Shabbos or on Yom Tov or on Holomoid and I declined and so I'm quite firm in that uh, respect so I became religious by choice and because I became religious by by choice I'm quite firm in my beliefs and have you uh, you know when you're in business people say you've got to have a 30 second elevator pitch or something like that Um, because you're an obviously orthodox Jewish Man, do you have an elevator pitch for for Judaism or being Jewish or explaining what Jewish means to you? Real freedom is choosing to worship God and walk in His ways. The, the, The biggest gift that God gave man is freedom of choice. In my opinion, 
if a person just lives their lives without purpose, without meaning, and they just go about their lives and they get in, immersed in this consumer culture, they become a slave. A lot of people have a misconception and think if you're religious, you're constricted. That's not true. Real free choice is when you exercise your free choice to serve God and try to keep and keep the mitzvahs. Try your best. No one's perfect. We're all works in progress. But making that effort, that's when you exercise your, your free choice and try to ha create more meaning and purpose in your life. And I just want to emphasize also, you're not about proselytizing. You're not about converting people into Judaism or anything. If you could talk a little more about how you feel about generally about people with that come from different, uh, different backgrounds and have different uh, choices in their lives. Sure. So you're right. We as Jews, we don't proselytize. That's one of the unique features about Judaism. You can, we believe that you can still be a good person if you're a, a Christian or of another faith, just as long as you walk in the path of God. God, God doesn't use a one-size-fits-all approach. He judges people according to their situation, according to their level. And uh, when it comes to, to different people, you know, it's people are born in different environments. They have different upbringings, different circumstances. Some people are born rich. Some people are born poor. Some people are born in third world countries. At the end of the day, uh, God Hashem takes all of that into account and judges them accordingly. Right. And so this, um, this office that you're going to hold is really about freedom for the people of Victoria. That's right, exactly. So we want to get big government out of our lives, stop interfering in our lives, stop telling us what to do, just focus on maintaining the infrastructure. If it's a local city council, just focus on taking out the, cra uh, the, the trash, making sure that it gets taken out on, on time. I'm not sure if you've noticed, but the Glenira City Council and the Port Phillip Council, they spend a lot of time trying to virtue signal and lecture us and about uh, different ide ideologies and agendas and that's not their role yes. their role is to take out the garbage are you going to be able to do something about city councils correct because they their main source of funding they get state government grants they also get government grants from the federal government without those grants they wouldn't be able to function so i would like to see any council that promotes a political, a radical extremist political ideology to have their funding cut off. I'm going to vote for you twice now. I very <laughs> much believe in that. But part of the problem is that if they don't spend the entire budget that they're given, they don't get it back the following year. And so you find many councils just... I shouldn't use the word wasting, but that's what it is, um, because they feel they want more money next year, not less. So, but I'm excited that you're going to be able to that's do right. something about should, city councils. I think we should need we need to cut their budget. They need to have a bare bones budget just to do the basics. If you look at Victoria's debt, we're 180 billion dollars in debt. 
That's more than the combined debt of the three states, Queensland, New South Wales and Tasmania. New South Wales and Queensland are some, New South Wales is the most populous state in Australia. Queensland is the third most populous. So we've, our debt is much larger than all of those three states. Mm. Well, I mean, <laughs> Dad Andrews just feels he's king rather than a premier. That's right. Because, you know, what's $12 million to a net, a net $15 million a dollars team. to a netball we team? We clearly have a lot him. of money to splurge. He's very generous with our money, isn't he? Absolutely. So um, uh, another reason I'm wishing you really well. <laughs> Thank you. Um, what are some of the... Uh, Tell me about some of the the things that you aspire to um, with your life going forward. Your kids are relatively young. You're now running for office. I'm sure that's given you um, some absolutely new directions of what life is all about and what's important and everything as well. What are you thinking at this stage that you really feel you're going to be able to make a difference? So people have become very disillusioned with our system. People are hungry. They feel, most people feel that something's not right, even if they can't identify what the problem is. They're disillusioned with the government. They're disillusioned with all of the major parties, but they also are hungry. They're thirsty. They want something in this looking for something in their lives they're searching for something and it's certainly not the woke agenda i think the woke agenda has caused them to search for more meaning in their lives because they're turned off by this agenda because it's so uh, crass it's so in your face and it's so obscene that it's caused people to become disillusioned in the system and to look and they've, they've got a void in their lives and they need to fill it. So my objective, the objective United Australia Party, we're a diverse group of people, as I've mentioned, is we want to first of all fill in that political void. But I also want to help, as Jews, we're supposed to be a light, and, light unto the nations. That's our role, whether we like it or not. So I want to go beyond that. And uh, as a team, I would like other Jews to do that as well. It's not just me. Work together as Jews, we can work together to reveal godliness in the world that was that's the mission of the Lubavitcher Rebbe who really inspired me to be light lights and to reveal godliness and to direct people in in the right direction to give help them find purpose help them find meaning so well I've got to say kolakavod to you thank because you. even in your finding of religion and becoming more orthodox in your life it's it, it's a strong choice to make because it's much easier not to be orthodox until you are. That's right. <laughs> and, um, and so the fact that you, when you were questioned and these things started to pop up in your mind, that you took the actions that you did and you would have just finished uni, you would have been starting a career That's and right. all of that. So that in itself shows a really great strength of character. And um, I'm thrilled to meet you. And Likewise. I'm happy to do whatever I can in promoting you and making sure that you really do uh, get elected uh, before the end of the month. Thank you. God willing.